Last night, I came in fully prepared to preach. I've got week four, my message ready to go, and it's good. I'm telling you, it's very good, and, and I really wanted to preach this last night, but we had a special guest with us last night from Operation Christmas Child. We've had uh, people in before. Operation Christmas Child is the shoebox thing that we do every Christmas, and we send them all over the world to children. Well, th- this is a woman who received a box as a girl, and it changed her life, and so we brought her in last night. She's at other church today, and we filmed it, and she was just going to be a five-minute kind of testimony of how the box changed her life that we were going to film, and then in a couple weeks from now, we were going to show you that five-minute segment when we kick off Operation Christmas Child. But as she began to share her story, right in the middle of it, the Holy Spirit just kind of spoke to my heart and said, she doesn't have a story, she has a message, and you need to get out of the way. And I said, but Holy Spirit, I've got a really good message for the church this weekend. I mean, you gave it to me. You know how good it is. And he says, can the message, this is more important this weekend, the church needs to hear what she has to say. And it was a powerful, powerful night last night. It brought tears to, to so many of us. And already this morning brought tears to people. And it's just a, something we need to hear. It's a young girl who grew up in the Middle East. And her, her village was destroyed by ISIS and the things that they've been through. Like, I can't even imagine. We're so privileged in America. I, I, we, we, just, we, we can't really even imagine the freedom that we have living here. You know, here, here's a girl that when she was my son's age, uh, a Muslim police officer came into her home to kill her father because they were the only Christian family, put a gun to his head in front of her. She's sitting in the living room watching this, and her dad says, uh, okay, before you shoot me, let me tell you why you're mad at me. And he pulled out his Bible and shared Jesus with him, and the guy got saved in their living room. I mean, just incredible what this girl has been through in her life, and just really had a challenge for us in the American church because, you know, when she came to America, we were at dinner with her last night talking about it. She says, I was so excited to get to America because I was finally in a country where I was free to worship God and I could come to church as much as I wanted and, and be there to worship God. And we couldn't do that where I'm from. And she said, when, when I got here, it was heartbreaking because there were so many American Christians who can't even show up to church on time. Like, like church for them is a chore. It's a burden to even get there on time, and here I am. I'm so excited because for the first time, I can actually come to church freely without threat of life, and and yet people can't even be there on time because it's a chore for them, and and it was really really challenging for us, Uh, and and I think all of us, and and after it was over last night, we weren't planning. I was planning on preaching today and just kind of keeping the message for YouTube or something, and and I just felt after the service, no, 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 everyone in our church needs to hear this this weekend, and so we're going to watch last night's message, and then I'll come back at the end to close the service, but I really believe she had a, a very strong message for every single one of us that we all need to hear about the life that we live. So let's go right now into last night. This is Dania from Operation Christmas Child. Now, she's not allowed to tell us what country she is from, and we're not going to ask her what country she's from, but I'm going to let her tell us why uh, she can't tell us tonight where she's from. So please share your story. This is going to be awesome. Absolutely. Um, so I, my name is Dania Yadago, and I am one child out of 168 million children that received an Operation Christmas Child shoebox gift since 1993. But my story starts back in the Middle East, uh, in a sensitive country or hard-to-reach country. 98% of the population in my country are not Christians. So if somebody wants to make a decision to follow Jesus, it has to come along with so many other decisions. The decision to sometimes leave your family 
leave your country or sometimes even the decision to give your life for the sake of Jesus. And that is the part of the world where my family were living. As my family were the only followers of Christ in the whole village and as you were sharing the gospel, that caused us to be in severe persecution. My father, one day he woke up and he went to his little shop that he had to fix and sell watches. And he found out there was a threatening letter posted on that door. And there was burned oil poured all over the front door. And on that letter it said that if we did not stop telling people about Jesus, if we don't leave the village, the next time they would burn the store and they would kill the family. As a little girl, I was constantly rejected and bullied by the students in the school that I went to, as well as the teachers, because I was the only follower of Christ in my entire school. And I remember how hard that was for me, but I'm so thankful for godly parents who showed me that Jesus is worth it. That even though we are following Jesus there and we're being persecuted by it, but we have this sweet relationship with Jesus that was worth anything else. Persecution was not the only challenge that we faced, but also severe poverty. My father worked really hard to provide for us, but it was still not enough to provide our basic necessities. So there were so many days where we slept without eating anything, and there were some other days where our only food used to be just raw onion and bread. We lived in a room that was empty. We didn't even have money to buy couches or beds. We did everything on the floor. But in the midst of these two challenges that we faced, I'm thankful for my parents that taught me the importance of trusting God. And I remember my mom specifically telling me that, Dania, even if mommy and daddy cannot provide for you many things that you need or want, just know that you have a God who will take care of you, who knows what you need before you even ask. Mm -hmm. So mom, she pointed my direction. Instead of me looking at the rejection, at the hurt, at the persecution, at the poverty, she pointed my eyes into Jesus, and she constantly told me to bring everything I have to him, because he's the God who knows, uh, knows us, and he's the God of details. So as a little girl, because prayer was my only hope, I brought every need that my family had to God in prayer. Some of these needs were school supplies and hygiene items and toys. Now, as a little girl, because of our situations, I did not receive gifts on Christmas or even on my own birthday. But my mom encouraged me to pray. And specifically, I wanted to have my own new toy because other kids could have that and I couldn't. And every time I went to my mom and told her, she told me to pray for it. And so I kept praying for it and didn't know what was going to happen. But there was one particular year that my family had another need that we could not afford. And that need was to have something as a radio to enable us to listen to the news, to learn about what's going on around the world, but also to listen to a Christian radio station. Now, outside of the church gathering, we did not have access to Christian resources. So it was such a necessity that our family had, but we just could not afford. But, but my family being the family of prayer, we knew that if we can't get it, we're going to pray for it. So we brought this need to God in prayer. And one very special day, I, I went to church gathering, and I heard that I was going to receive a special gift. I could not believe it because it was my very first gift. And I remember how excited I was when I heard my name personally called to come and receive that shoebox. As I put my hand to the gift, I wanted to open it right there and then. Mom told me I had to wait until we go home. <laughs> uh, we, we had to walk 30 minutes to get to home because you could not afford getting on a taxi. So we finally made it home. We ran up the stairs as my brother and I were holding our boxes. When I opened the lid of my shoebox and looked inside, what shocked me the most was how colorful and brand new everything in my shoebox was. That just stood out to me. But inside there were things that my family needed and had prayed for. We found hygiene items. I love the soap that we got inside, especially the smell 
smell of soap. It smelled so good. And I loved this, the decorated pencils and the school supplies that I found. And I remember thinking that somebody spent so much time decorating the pencil. So I was careful in sharpening it. So I didn't want it to finish. <laughs> and then I got beautiful toys. My favorite was a beanie baby like this one. And I loved it because every time I begged my mom to buy me something like that, she told me to pray for it. But it was such a sweet touch from God that he sent me a beautiful new toy inside a shoebox gift. I used to play teacher with a toy, and she was my favorite student. Uh, I think she graduated by now. <laughs> And then my other favorite toy was a slinky. Um, and I actually didn't know how to play with it at first. I thought it was a bracelet. <laughs> Until one day I was coming down the stairs and it fell from my hand. And I thought, wow, it could be a bracelet and a toy. And it became also my favorite. But here we are so overjoyed with everything that we received. And to me, it was definitely a gift from God. And as he used these little items to remind me of his goodness and faithfulness and answering to prayers, where there was one more surprise for my family. There was another small box inside the shoebox gift. As we pulled the box out and we opened it, we could not believe our eyes. Because inside that small box, we found a mini radio. This is exactly how it looked like, and I remember all of us looked at each other thinking, what are the chances that out of millions of shoeboxes and millions of children in different countries, for this one to come specifically to my family? But it just taught me at such a young age that when my mom was pointing my eyes to Jesus, when she knew that she herself could not afford for her children, she had such a big faith that God knows what we need. There's nothing too silly for him. There's nothing too small for him. But he heard the little girls' prayers and heart desires, and that family, really, and he chose to provide for us in answering our prayers using an ordinary shoebox gift, which in his hand, it became extraordinary. And every time we looked at it and at the items, we always called it God's gift for us. And it was such a reminder to us in one of the darkest parts of the world that God sees us, and he sees what we're going through, and he is above our poverty and persecution. We kept the items for so many years. We had to leave my country because of war and persecution uh, in 2009, and after leaving my country, that same village that we lived in was all destroyed by terrorist groups, showing us that God just pulled us at the right time. I came to, to America uh, nine years ago, and I started my, new, my life here, and I remember one thing that I really loved about this country was the freedom that I get to be able to be in a church like that, standing on a stage, sharing about the faithfulness of God. And that was my absolute favorite thing. But God had yet many things in plan when he connected me with Operation Christmas Child the very first month that I came to the United States. And I remember at that time, I had so many unknowns in my mind. Like, are we going to be okay? What's going to happen here? This is just a new adventure for us. And that same month, I went to a warehouse where they process shoeboxes to children in Charlotte, North Carolina. And I remember as I stepped there during the season, there were so many people there. And there were so many boxes and people wearing Santa hats. And I had no idea what the place was. I thought it was a Sienna factory. <laughs> I remember thinking, people wearing Santa has green and red Christmas trees, toys, doesn't make sense. I mean, they told me about it in the Middle East. 
But as I was watching that, I saw the banners hanging from the top, and the banners had the Operation Christmas Child logo, and it hit me that this is the same one that I received when I was a little girl. But it was that reminder from God yet again that just as the shoebox was a sign in the past that he was with me, in this new unknown, it's another sign that God is with me as well. And look where I am now. Never I would have known that 20 years later, God would have for me to be standing in a church somewhere in California sharing about his faithfulness and what he has done in my life. So I hope this encourages you to know that you do your part. And then once you are done, once you pray over the boxes, God will take them and he will put them just at the right hands of the children because they serve as a gospel opportunity for them. Mm. And you are the ones that make stories just like mine possible. So thank you for what you do and may God bless you. Hang, hang out with me for a minute. Hang out with pull on the mic. I know you're not supposed to ask. I know you're not supposed to ask a woman how old are they. How, how old are you now? Oh, 26. 26. I don't mind. <laughs> um, you know, the, 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 we have no idea how privileged we are in America for our faith. You know, I, I have the opportunity to travel around the world, and I've, I've been to places, and we're so blessed. I mean, this, this costs us nothing. Let's be very honest. This is nothing for us. Even those of us who are struggling right now can do a box. But the difference it makes is just so absolutely incredible. And I, I know you're supposed to be nice to us tonight because you're, you're, you're encouraging us to do this. But I want some honesty for a moment. What was the hardest thing for you uh, as a Christian, your faith coming to America? Like, like when, when you got involved in Christianity in America and the church in America, what was the, the biggest challenge that you had to kind of adjust to from the way faith and Christianity worked in your, your, where, where you're from? Wow. <sighs> supposed to be nice. <laughs> be nice. Just be honest for a moment. We already no. got the film for the rest of the services. <laughs> no, but honestly, one of the... We have... Around the world, people have an idea about America. Mm -hmm. I had the idea about America, that America is a Christian country. In fact, when I came here, I thought there would be people all over the street preaching the gospel. Because to me, it only made sense because in my country, when we don't have the freedom, we do that, mm -hmm. right? What are you going to expect from a country that has that, you know? So when I came here, I remember uh, going to a church, and I was so excited, and people could see that I was excited. I'm worshiping. Like, worship is such a huge part in my mm -hmm. heart. And right now, I'm a worship leader because I was so passionate about worship when I was a little girl, which explains why I wanted a radio to listen to a Christian radio station. Mm -hmm. But um, when I was here, I remember I just... Wanting to be at church, wanting to serve. I mean, what, five days a week? Yes, like, I want to do that. But what shocked me the most was the people who were barely dragging themselves out of the uh, uh, bed to be able to come to church as though it's a chore for them. And it didn't make sense to me because I'm thinking, well, too much has been given, much is required. Like, God has given you this freedom. Why are you wait, waiting for it to be taken away from you? Don't you want to take the time to use it so you can come and grow in your faith? One of my biggest things was having somebody my age that is a believer that I can share my faith with. Mm -hmm. And for nine years of my life, I could not find even one single person mm -hmm. who is my age that I, can that I can talk to as a believer. And when I came here, that was one of my biggest things. I want to find those friends that I can connect with because it's such value with having a body of Christ. Mm -hmm. But when I came here, there were a lot of people who, many of them, they said that they believe in God and love God, and they would come to church, but there, there isn't that sweet, they don't find Jesus sweet, if that makes sense. Yeah. Like in us, in the midst of persecution, there's so much going on, but we're excited because there is 
this hope and sweetness in Jesus, we see how God changed the heart of a police officer who wanted to shoot my dad. Mm-hmm. And when God shared, when my father shared the gospel with him, he gave his life to Christ. And there's mm-hmm. this sweetness, you know, that you have Jesus. And here we tell people about this testimony. They're like, oh, that is nice. Must be nice. I'm like, it's the same God. (laughs) You know, it's the same God that who did that. He can still do that in your life as well. He's the God of miracles. He does that everywhere. But there's this personal experience with God that I feel like many people were missing uh, because they grew used to it. They grew up hearing about Jesus, about the gospel. And then all of a sudden you grow numb about what Jesus has done for you. and that was one of my biggest shocks, that there are a lot of churches in the States, but really few believers that could say, I can experience Jesus in my every single day of life. Mm. You know, one of the things we talk about a lot as a church family is we should never feel guilty about the blessing that's on our life. Because, you know, I mean, America's an incredibly blessed country. Those of us who live in North County take blessing to a whole other level. I mean, how many know? It's like, thank God we don't live in Nebraska right now, right? <laughs> Like, we're, we live in paradise. We live in the most beautiful part of America here. And we should never, ever feel guilty about that, but we should always feel responsible. Like, there is a responsibility on our life to do more because we've been given more. And a responsibility to make that difference. And, you know, I, I, I have a really good message for you that I don't know if I'm going to get to tonight because I feel like the Holy Spirit is leading us a different direction tonight. So if you'll promise to go watch it this week on YouTube or our, our website <laughs> and, and bring your notes, because it, 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 I think it's probably one of the most important messages of the series we're in because we're talking about what real love is. And, you know, First John tells us this is love, yeah. not that we love God. I mean, 80% of the teaching I heard growing up in church was all about how I could love God more. But 1 John 4.10 says, this is love. Not that we love God, but that God loved us. See, this this is why Christianity is different than religion. Religion is all about how much you love God. The gospel is all about how much God loves you. And I think what she's saying is when the gospel lands in your heart, not just in your head, but when it gets in your heart, it compels you to want to do something. You know, that's why I, I believe preaching on Sunday is not about teaching you how to live the Christian life. It's all about showing you how beautiful Jesus is. Yeah. Because if you can see Jesus in his beauty and his fullness, it, it'll compel you to live out the life. And, and that's what we, we have a living example of my message today. Someone who, who has received the love of God and had to live in the love of God. And, and, and you know, like, like I put on my Instagram today uh, a photo of my two year old son. In that scripture verse, and I said, you know, at two years old, he has no idea how to love me. He can't love me at two years old. Now, we parents think our children loves us at two years old because they hug us, but they have no idea what love is. They, they don't understand love. They don't know the concept of love. And it's easy, well, my kids love me. They don't know love at two years old. But what he knows how to do is receive love. Like, like, like our relationship is all about me loving and giving to him. He, he doesn't really put anything back into the relationship. All he does is receive, but his receiving of my love brings me so much joy. That's a picture of our relationship with God. It's not about how much we love God, because we, we still, even to this point, really don't even understand love. But if we can learn to receive his love, it gives him great joy, and it changes us to live the life that we're called to live. And, and, you know, we, we, I, I thank you for coming. And I think I want to do something different, if you don't mind, is I'd like 
you know, we've never done this before. This is supposed to be a normal service, but, you know, when the Holy Spirit shows up, things change. And uh, I, I, want, I want to open up for some q and I, I, want, I want to know, is there anything you would like to ask her about her experience, her journey? I mean, obviously there's certain things she can't share, but just about her faith, about her journey. I think we're, you know, we get to be in the presence of someone who really, to me, understands the gospel better than anyone because it was, it was life or death for them. You know, for us, it's a nice addition to our life. Oh, yeah, church is a nice part of my life. You know, we, we don't need church to survive. It's just a nice addition to our life because, you know what, you know, I want to be a better husband. I want to be a better mother. I want to be, you know, better at this or better at that. And church helps me be better in different areas of my life. But, you know, I'm not going to go overboard and make Jesus my Lord. You know, God forbid. I just, you know, I, I want Jesus to be a part of my life because, you know, I, I want my life to be better, but I'm not going to give him everything. Well, we have someone today who it was do or die. I mean, it was life or death. It was, they were, they were, that, that wasn't an option in your faith in countries like this. And so I just want to know, is there anyone that wants to ask any questions tonight? Kelly. Yeah, they, so we lived in three different countries in the Middle East before we come to United States. The country that I was born in, I was about uh, a year old when, and my brother was two years old and my parents actually moved to a different country in the Middle East and that's when they heard about Jesus. And then after seven years of living there, they had this calling of going back to my home country to tell our relatives about Jesus. Well, when we went back, uh, when our relatives heard about what we believe, Sadly, they were the first people that wanted us, they wanted to kick us out of the village uh, because they said that you brought a lot of shame into our, our family. My cousin actually was the first one that started the series of persecution. Uh, he was the one that ignited the flame and it went all over the place. But we have, my, actually my cousins, my aunt and my cousins responded well. And some of them live in San Diego actually here. But the rest of them are still not believers. And they, they still call my dad and they do say, I can't believe that you are still believing what you're believing. But they do know that we are very firm in what we believe in. And we all, whenever we get a chance, we keep, we're keeping sharing the gospel with them. Whenever we give up, give up, we're praying for them, asking God to work in their lives. Yeah. Hi. 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 You too. Yeah, uh, I when I was growing up, after my parents became believers, one of the things that mom used to do every night was putting my brother and I to her right and left, teaching us how to pray. And she used to tell us, this is how you pray, this is how you talk to God. Uh, but also serving in the church, she dragged us everywhere with her when she was serving. And I could see in, in, them, in them that value in serving. You know, you, your parents are the people that you look up to every time. They are your role model when, as when you are as young, and even when we went back to the village, I was seven years old, and from seven years old till 15 year old, this was the period where they were sharing the gospel. We were not allowed to have a church building, so we had a house church, and our house was was open uh, the whole time for people if they wanted to come and talk. But I gave my I, I made my own decision of following Jesus when I was um, 13 years old. 
But really what, what dragged that was seeing how my parents are literally willing to give everything up, willing even to give their... I mean, when that police officer came with a gun threatening my father, we were in the living room with him. And to see how he boldly stood up saying that, before you shoot, let me tell you why I'm doing what I'm doing. And he opened the Bible and he shared, we thought my dad was crazy. Like, what are you doing? But just to see that they're willing to die for something. You know, and, and they're willing to stay up late at night telling people about Jesus and discipling them and praying for them. My mom is such a big prayer warrior, and that explains why you know, prayer is such a big part of my life. But they were just praying and answering any, any questions. And then when I, one night, I was just putting the pieces together, and I'm like, well, I want to I know if I die that I'm going to be with Jesus. And that's when I made my own decision of following Christ. And uh, I knew at that time that there is nothing I would lose because I already lost everything. Mm-hmm. You know, family members, friends. It's just a matter of where we're going to wake up and then not going to be alive. Or, I mean, you know, you know what I'm saying. But um, they, we used to pray every, every day, open the Bible, telling us stories from, from the Bible, um, and answer any questions we have. Uh, but one thing I saw in my parents regularly every single day for as, as long as I can remember, every single day, my parents in the living room, they're the first people to wake up and pray for us by name mm. till this day. And that just impacted me so much because I know now that in every battle I'm facing in life, my parents' prayers are carrying me. And even if it carried me through season of rejection, season of fear, and even season of rebellious. Every time I felt like I wanted to do something I wasn't supposed to do, my mom's prayers just ring into my ears. Because I know that mom pressed, prayed for me and that her prayers are precious. And so that made me the person I am today because I know, because I love her so much, I don't want to fail her. And I know that her prayers are making me the person that I am today. So she constantly made sure that even when we did not want to, she prayed for us by name and she made us hear it, I mean, out loud. <laughs> Every time I'm walking out the, the, the door to go to school, I hear my name. <laughs> Sometimes I'm like, okay, here we go again. Um, but... Now I understand. I want to do the same thing for my kids one day. You know, I want them to know that I'm praying for them in every high and every low, that God is there, and he is the one who's going to guide them in whatever decision they want to make. Mm. Wow. Yes. Yeah, the, the, I'll just say, just in case we ever use this video, the question was, uh, how did the box make her feel, and uh, uh, what happened in her heart? Yes. Uh, to me, as a little girl, being in a part of the world where I felt isolated from the rest of the world just because of who I was, um, I always dreamt of, of have, being in a church and serving in a church and having person my age that I can share my faith with. That was something I woke up with every day. But having that shoebox pierced through the isolation that I was in. And I remember just thinking, well, somebody knows we're here. You know, somebody knows, like, somebody actually knows that I exist, yeah. <laughs> uh, that we're not suffering alone. Like, to me, it's like this body of, the image of body of Christ, that the body of Christ here was supporting the body of Christ there. And to me, it just was so exciting. Like, oh, they actually are 
people that believe in Jesus. And I also believe in Jesus because we had got a note inside the shoebox. And so to me, there's that joy that was brought, that this affirmation, uh, especially in the midst of every time I went to school, I knew another person is going to tell me that I'm a follower of Christ. And the teacher is going to tell the whole class about it. And it was just that constant thing. But then when I received it, it was, it was more of like, you know what? This person believes in Jesus, and I believe in Jesus, and I know they're supporting me. And I know this is a sign from God to keep doing what I am doing. And it really affirmed our faith. Uh, not only that, actually, while serving in that part of the world, because we did not have a lot of resources to reach out to people. When we stayed in that country and we decided not to leave uh, yet, we asked God to give us resources to share the gospel with people. Well, when the shoeboxes came, we were able to go to neighboring villages uh, in villages that no one has shared the gospel before. And we asked them if we could enter their homes and give children gifts. And when they agreed, we entered. And through that, we shared the gospel with them. And so it wasn't just a family impact. It wasn't uh, uh, us and how God answered our prayers. And then he really affirmed my faith. But also my family used this as an evangelism tool mm. to go to other villages that have not heard the gospel. And through that, we had many people that we were able to build a relationship with what eventually led to many people getting to know Christ so it was definitely many seeds that was planted not only in my life but the people around us tell us tell us what your dream for your life is like where, where what do you what do you see in your future where, what is your dream for Christ your dream for yourself like I'd love to know what God's put on your heart yeah wow <laughs> well um <laughs> well, actually, that's part of, I actually have a big heart for the new generation. Mm. Uh, my sisters, I have two sisters that were born, we're about 10 years apart. And my heart is just so heavy for the young generation. I mean, I'm still young, yes, but like the, the ones that are just now mm -hmm. uh, getting in their teenage, especially the teenage years. I'm actually now serving in the church with the youth, uh, co-leading with the youth. But I have such a big heart for them to get to experience the sweetness of Jesus. Yeah. Like there's just this, I don't know how to explain this, but yeah. if you guys know what I'm talking about, when you just feel that sweetness that Jesus has, mm. that's what I want them to know. Yeah. Um, and, and that's what I pray in a constant daily basis. That's what I pray. There are a lot of youth at my church. I pray for them by name every single day. Uh, or as much as I can, because I want them to experience that fullness, that, that this fullness that Jesus gives yeah. that apart from him, nothing can satisfy. Um, and that's my heart desire. Lately, God has been putting that in my heart heavily. Mm -hmm. And I wanted them to, to inspire the youth to, to, the youth to get to know this God. Not only go to church because their parents told them to. You know, not only to read the Bible because they're supposed to do that. But to actually get to experience that sweetness of God. And hopefully mm -hmm. have that relationship. And kind of like, you know, I keep having the Moses-God conversation. Yeah. Yeah. Just as my, like Exodus 33 is my favorite one of my favorite chapters of the Bible when God has this beautiful conversation with Moses and Moses could really talk to him, like just friend, talk to him and, and ask him for, for things that a lot of people in that, I mean, nobody could ask him that, but he had the boldness to go and ask him that because he had, he's experienced his presence. Mm. Um, he's experienced his love and he's experienced his mercy. And so one of the things that I am so passionate about is for the youth to experience God's presence in their life. Um, mm. You know, like even Exodus 33, whenever the Israelite made the golden calf and whenever they uh, disobeyed, when Moses took too long to come mm -hmm. down, you know, God told Moses, just take them and go to the promised land. I'm not going to go with you. 
But what did Moses tell him? No, we don't want to go if your presence does not go with us. Mm. Because he preferred God's presence over the promised land. You know, and, and if we in our life, in every single life, if we choose presence over promise, yes, the promised land is amazing and it's beautiful, but without God's presence, it doesn't matter. Because the God, promised land is where God dwells. And, um, and we're not, unless we realize that this is the presence, the yeah. presence that we're after as Christians, this the God's presence, we're not going to experience his sweetness. So um, mm. I don't know where, what that would mean in the future, but not, right now I'm starting to lead a lot of youth toward that, yeah. specifically the ladies, just for them to be full, so filled with Christ, they're not going to look toward anything else because nothing can satisfy. That's so powerful. Come on. Yeah. <laughs> that is, uh, that's so beautiful because that's been the goal of the series that we're in right yeah. now. It's just showing people how beautiful he is Mm -hmm. so that they just fall in love with him. They just want to be with him. Like, you know, we we tell you often as a church at Coastline, you don't have to read your Bible. You don't have to pray. You don't have to give. You don't have, if you have to do it, there's something wrong with your relationship with God. You know, the goal of Christianity is not to have to do it. The goal of Christianity is I want to pray because I enjoy talking to God. I want to read my Bible because I want to know what he has to say to me because he's so beautiful and he's so incredible that it's, it's not a have to here, it's a want to That's right. because he's changed our heart because of how beautiful and sweet and amazing he is. I love that heart. That's that incredible. Um, what, what, do you, what do you think would be, um, if you could challenge Christians in America with anything, what do you think our biggest challenge is and how would you challenge us? <laughs> Wow. And, and again, be brutally honest. Yeah, like, like on. we already did all the nice stuff, and, and we're, we're, we're bought in. We're going to do the yeah. boxes anyways. Well. So <laughs> be honest with us now. It's not going to change the box oh. output. Gosh. <laughs> well, thanks for the heads up. No, I think every, <laughs> honestly, I think every once in a while, I, I get this opportunity because I travel internationally, and, and I get to be a part of Christianity in different parts of the world. And it's hard coming back to America, if I could be very honest. You know, it's hard sometimes. Like, I was in Sweden the other day, and uh, this kid was leading worship, and, and he wrote the song, and it was, it was one of the upbeat songs, full of joy, positive, happy, and the pastor leans over to me and said, yeah, when he was uh, 10 years old, the, uh, the, his family were missionaries in India, and the, uh, the, the villagers came into his house, and in front of him murdered his father because they were missionaries. And here's this kid, 20 years old, writing worship songs, singing, full of the joy of the Lord. We have no idea in America sometimes. You know, it's, it's the same faith. Like, like the church I was at was a faith church. Here in America, we use our faith to get a nicer house, to get a better job, to get a better car. There, they're using their faith because we want to go into Afghanistan and plant another church. We're going into China. We're going into Nepal. We're going into Cambodia. It's the same faith message. They're just using it for different purposes. See, for me, I, I was mentored by Colin Urquhart in England, and he came to America in the 70s, and it made him sick. And, and here, here's what he said. He says, the kingdom of God is diametrically opposed to the American dream. He says, the problem in America is we're using our faith to accomplish the American dream as opposed to further the kingdom of God. And there's a big difference. And so I want you to be honest with us tonight and, and just, just tell us where, where you see us as American Christians and what you would challenge us with. Yeah. Well, I have to say that, you know, this really applies to all of us, me as well. Um, 
But also all that to say is there are a lot of faithful people. You know, mm -hmm. I'm not trying to say all of you are, are in, you need to be more faithful. No, I'm, I'm talking about the general idea of how as the majority being Christians, usually what I saw when I first came did not match in my mind. That's what I meant. But I think, you know, like the Bible says, seek first the kingdom of God. Um, and, and, and the rest, you know, will take care of itself. Like, f seek first the kingdom of God. But I think my challenge would be that in our families, in our jobs, um, just like the presence, we, wanna, we don't want to go anywhere without God's presence with us. But also, just see, God, what have you given me that I want to give back to you? Uh, we have a lot of things here. And sometimes it's hard to put that in perspective because you haven't been outside to see what you're missing. You grew up with that. And, uh, you know, being able to have that life is not necessarily wrong, but I feel like sometimes we are so much after, as you said, like, how can we make our life better? How can we make our uh, children's life better? How can we make our, um, the future? We're always looking at that future. You know, when I came to United States, they asked me, what's your, what's your five-year plan? I'm thinking, what? You think five years from now? <laughs> I don't know what to answer. You know, it's just that, that idea because we lived for every day. Every day we were just thinking, we don't know. Like, what would you want as God to do? So my challenge would be, just have eternal um, uh, life in mind. Just know that everything you're doing, does it have an eternal value? Everything that you do, the words that you say, people that you work with, um, the things that you seek, the desires that you have in your heart, just everything have that eternal perspective. Because whether we, we want to, whether we, we, we think about it or not, we know that our time here is very, very, very short. Um, God has given us this time and is ticking. And he will one day, we will stand before him and he will ask us, what are you going to do with the time I've given you, with the resources that I have given you, with the freedom that I've given you, with the place, with your family? We're going to be held accountable of the things that we have. So my question is, as a follower of Christ and dwelled by the Holy Spirit, where is your mission as a believer in the place that you are in? And how are you going to, in the people around you, as you serve him, how is that going to bring an eternal value? So always keep that eternal image in your mind and everything else would look like it's nothing mm. that's so powerful i remember uh, uh my pastor got a chance to uh, uh meet with billy graham right before he passed away mm. and you know it actually no it was about two years before billy graham passed away he was very sick though and thought he was going to pass away at any time and i remember they asked him this question they said uh how do you uh how, how did you live your life without any scandals live your life with integrity you know, live your life just, just, just pure-hearted the way you've lived your life because he has an impeccable reputation. And his answer was, I lived with the end in mind mm -hmm. because I lived every day knowing it could be my last and I would have to give an account before God. And then what was really surprising to me more than anything else is, is uh, my pastor asked him, um, well, what, you know, because before they left, Billy Graham said, would you pray for me? And he's like, well, how do you pray for Billy Graham? I mean, <laughs> like, what do you pray for Billy Graham? And uh, he said, well, so, so my pastor asked him, he said, well, you're going to have to help me with this one because I have, I have no idea what to pray. Like, like how do I pray for you? What, what, what would you like? And he said, pray that I finish strong. And he said, he said, I'm thinking, if he doesn't finish strong, there's no hope for any of us. <laughs> but even at the very end, he was living with the end in mind. He was living with that passion of we're here for a reason, we're here for a purpose, and we have an opportunity to live this life one time. Mm -hmm. 
one time, and then we stand before God. And we give an account for what we did and what we did not do. And, and I get the fact that we're going to take our crowns, the Bible says, and all of our rewards that we get for the life that we lived, and we're, we're going to throw them at the feet of Jesus. I get that. But I don't know about you. I don't want to be empty-handed in that moment. I don't want to be standing there with nothing to throw at his feet. And unfortunately, there's going to be a lot of people who live this life, and because of his grace, are going to heaven, but they're not going to have anything to throw at his feet. Because they didn't do anything with the life that they were given. They received their salvation, but, but, but there was nothing that came out of that. And, and I want us to be a church that, that we live with the end in mind. She says we live with that eternal perspective where we know that, that we are so incredibly blessed we should not feel guilty, but we should feel responsible mm-hmm. because we have an opportunity to make a significant difference, not just here in our own community. I mean, yes, we all have neighbors and coworkers and friends who need Jesus, but we also have an opportunity to make a difference globally through projects like this and, and other things that we're a part of as a church. Um, yes, I don't know if you... Yeah. Uh, do you know about the Greatest Journey discipleship program Tell that we have? Tell us about it. Uh, so a Persian Christmas child not only sends gifts to children just for him, you know, just to put a smile on the children's faces, but every shoebox, it's a go- that represents the gospel before every uh, shoebox that's given. But also in 2009, uh, the discipleship program was started called The Greatest Journey. It's a 12 lessons where children are invited back to attend. And many churches have started because children keep coming back. Mm. And here's the beautiful thing. I know sometimes, you know, uh, um, numbers are not everything, but sometimes they, they put things in perspective. Since we started The Greatest Journey in 2009, 8.9 million children were reported that they gave their lives to Christ. Um, wow. Come on. Wow. So just think about, again, the eternal yeah. perspective. Like we, our whole, even Franklin Graham's goal is like, what are we going to do with just materialistic things are going to fade away. Yes, God can use them. But to me is the lesson that I learned that's standing mm-hmm. with me. And with those children in countries like mine, some of them, this is the first time they get to hear about Jesus Christ. And the discipleship program, knowing from my experience, having the house church, if we, if we, we didn't have the resources given to us by peop, outside people, we don't have Christian resources. Yeah. Um, so having those materials, the student and they are also given a Bible when they graduate from the greatest mm. journey. This, this is sometimes the very first Bible the child receives. So it's the great commission. Our heart is that Jesus is coming back. We need to go and share the gospel for as many children and their families as possible. Um, so our, our heart is really to fulfill the great commission using tangible ways. Uh, to so I just wanted to throw this out there yeah. to know that it's not just material things and put a yeah. smile, which you do. Uh, but also, our goal is this evangelism, discipleship, which leads to multiplication. And you need to know our filter as a church is we don't do anything as a church if it's not bringing people to Jesus and building the local church. And what I love about what Franklin Graham is doing with these boxes is they're, they're giving them through local churches and communities so that the bride gets the credit. It's not us in America who are getting the credit for these boxes. It's the bride of Christ, the local church in that area that's getting the credit because we, we give them to the pastors. You're going to meet one of those pastors in a couple weeks uh, who pastors in Lima, Peru. We give them to the pastors, and then they take them out and give them to the people, and it builds the body of Christ. It builds 
the church, and that's our filter. Like, we don't, we don't do water wells in Africa if it's not going to bring people to Jesus and build the church. Like, 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 Jesus was very clear. Why do you give money to perishable things that are, are going to pass away? Paul says you don't get any credit in heaven for that type of giving. Like, we can give to all sorts of nonprofits and charities in America, but if people aren't getting saved, the Bible is very clear. You get zero credit in heaven for that. And I don't know about you, I want all of my given to be eternally credited back to me. I don't want to give things to things that are just going to pass away on this earth. And there's a lot of great causes out there, but I'm not going to give to great causes. I'm going to give to bring people to Jesus. Because that is the only thing we will be rewarded for in heaven. And I will have to give an account for all of my generosity when I get to heaven. I'm going to give an account for my generosity. So is my generosity going to be wasted on earth, or is it going to make a difference in heaven? And that's what we have to ask ourselves. That's all of us have to decide as a family, as an individual, where does my generosity go? Is my generosity, uh, you know, and again, listen, if, you, if, you have a, if, if God leads you to give to something outside of impacting eternity, fine, but I would encourage you to make sure at least the majority of your generosity is making an eternal difference in the world for your sake. Jesus said, send it ahead. He said, store up your treasures and then he says, for yourself, which is really interesting. He doesn't say, do this for me. He said, do it for you. Store up your treasure in heaven for yourself. Now, why would Jesus tell you to do something if you're not going to need it? See, he's wanting you to send it ahead. Like, anything you die with on earth, you lose. Like, whatever is in your position when you die, well, you know, I have a trust, I have a will. It doesn't matter. You know, every single one of us dies with the exact same amount, 100%. Like, whatever you have when you die, you lose, all of it. You have the opportunity before you die to send it ahead. And that's what Jesus is talking about. He says, store up treasure for yourself in heaven. That's what we do through these boxes. That's what we do through everything else that, that we invest in as a church to bring people to Jesus. So I want to encourage you. These are, these are incredible tools, especially if you have children. Like, I love taking my son shopping for these boxes because the entire time I'm telling him why. Here's why we're doing this. Here's the difference it's going to make. I have my son pray over the box. I have him, you know, put the box together. I have him a part of the whole project because I want him to fully understand and recognize what's taking place because it's developing and growing his heart. And so I, I, I just pray tonight that you're okay with me not preaching. Uh, I think she did a much better job than me tonight. <laughs> And uh, I'm, I'm so, so, so thankful to have you. Just, just share some closing words with us, and then would you pray over our church? Yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm so honored to do that. Thank you so much for having me. Um, just, just know that God wants us to be part of his miraculous work. Um, when the child who brought the two fishes and five loaves of bread, I mean, it was his lunch, but God took that little mm -hmm. to feed over 5,000 people, even though God can cause something to come out of nothing. Mm -hmm. But he took this little because he wanted the little child to be part of his miraculous work. And so when we, when we serve God, even though he does not need us, everything we're doing, he wants us to be part of that, to be part, to see his miracles, to say that I was part of that. <clears throat> One day when we go to heaven, God will show us that you were part of that person, you were part of that child. Uh, there's nothing more scary to me than knowing that I would die without fulfilling God's purpose. 
Now, that's my prayer every day. Lord, don't take me from this earth and then until you know that I've completed my race. So give me sensitive ears through the Holy Spirit to know where I need to be because I, you created me for, on this earth for a purpose, and I want to finish it before I go. So may this be our heart cry. May this be our prayer. Um, so let's join in prayer. Thank you. Father, we know this, you, that you are in this place, and Father, we know that you have ordained this moment way before Lord, as we are here as your children and as we want to serve you, Father, and as we want to take your presence with us wherever we go, Lord, I just pray that you would use us. Um, Father, I pray for every single person here today. Mm. I don't know if everybody here knows you and knows that sweetness, Father. There may be some people that wake up every morning, they read and they pray, and it doesn't feel like it's going anywhere. And Father, I just pray that you make it so real to them. Um, I pray that they would experience this freshness, that this sweetness that their presence bring. Lord, I pray that your presence will go with them today as they leave this place. I pray that they would sense um, where you want them to be, how you want them to serve you, Father, how they can make an impact in your kingdom, Lord, and how they can be the people that you want them to be. Lord, just thank you for the privilege that you have given me to be standing before my brothers and sisters. And I just pray, Lord, that everything we do and say would be uh, for your glory and keeping in mind that eternal perspective. Lord, we thank give you Jesus. all the glory and all the honor in Jesus Christ's name. Amen. How many of you agree with me? Come on. Great weekend. How many of you will agree with me? The Holy Spirit got it right this weekend. He knew, he, he's just so smart. He knows what he's doing. Uh, and we needed to hear that message. I tell you, it challenged me deeply. Every once in a while, we need to be woken up to the privilege that we have, the blessing that we have, and not take it for granted that we have this incredible privilege and opportunity, and we're so blessed living here in America. Would you stand with me? I'm just going to pray over you, God's blessing. And I, I, just, I just pray today that the emotion of this message won't dissipate later this afternoon when you get right back into the busyness of your life. But I pray that this will just become a foundational block to allow you to really live life with an eternal perspective. Just let it be one of those kind of foundation stones in your life that you build your faith upon. Father, in the name of Jesus, we thank you, God, for, for Daniel's life and her story and the difference, God, that she's making by just but just telling her story to churches and Christians with her experience and her upbringing. We are so fortunate. We are so blessed, God. And Lord, your desire is that none of us ever feel guilty over the blessing and the privilege that we have, but we do feel responsible to steward it well because to those that have been given much, much is required, much is expected, and we just want to be faithful. And so, God, let us live our life in the eternal perspective, God, knowing that we get one chance to do this, and then we will stand before you, give an account. And so, God, let us live well, let us run our race and finish strong in the name of Jesus. Amen. Have a great week, everybody.